1964, I wasn't born, by the way, but in 1964, Simon and Garfunkel uh, released their debut album. It was a complete commercial failure, except for one song. Uh, one song off of that album rocketed to number one, and it was the song, The Sound of Silence. It starts like this. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. And it goes on from there and is utterly depressing. The whole song is depressing from start to finish. It is about darkness after all. And this song really launched the careers of Simon and Garfunkel as a duo. And then, of course, later on, Paul Simon has his uh, career after uh, they go their separate ways. This depressing song launches the career of these two people. And, and it's possible that it was just a, a really well-written lyric that caused that. It's, it, maybe it's the haunting music uh, that people were just attracted to. I tend to think that among the many reasons perhaps this song became so popular is the fact that everybody relates in some ways to dark moments right everybody at some time in their life has those moments of hopelessness or despair or discouragement or or times when they just feel like life's not getting better or life may never get better and they sit with a song like the sound of silence and it's it's somewhat comforting to know that somebody else felt this way as well that kind of angsty depressing melancholic like some of us see that as a friend right it's just comforting to know other people feel this way and and this is what happens to that song it just it just kind of takes off and and maybe you know that feeling maybe you're maybe you're someone who those feelings come sporadically and they leave quickly and you kind of identify I need to eat better I'm kind of mentally exhausted I'm kind of worn out and in a day or two maybe a week the cloud lifts and you feel better maybe that's you and you relate to that momentary darkness in your life for other people darkness comes and it just hangs around for a while it doesn't go away as quickly. It settles in, maybe not all the time, but for some of us, there have been seasons of our life where it's been hard. And we kept thinking it would get better. We, we kept thinking the darkness would lift, and it, it just day, we woke up the next day, and it was still there. And, and we turned the month of the calendar, and it was still there. Uh, in case you think, Depressing songs are reserved for the 60s. I give you Billie Eilish. <laughs> like, here are some of the inspiring lyrics from young Billie Eilish. Hands getting cold, losing feeling is getting old. Was I made from a broken mold? Hurt I can't shake, we've made every mistake. Only you know the way that I break. And this encouraging line from the song Lovely... Thought I found a way, thought I found a way out, but you never go away, so I guess I gotta stay now. 
Oh, I hope someday I'll make it out of here, even if it takes all night or a hundred years. Need a place to hide, but I can't find one near. Want to feel alive outside, I can't fight my fears. Like, it's not a generational thing. Like, everybody, old, young, in the middle, you experience times when life is hard. Simon and Garfunkel and Billie Eilish have made millions off of angsty, depressing, melancholy songs. Why? Because people relate. Right? People, people get it. You know, we're studying through the Psalms. Today, we're studying Psalm 88. I'm just going to tell you up front, it is the most depressing one out of the 150 there are. It is the most, I promise we're going to do a happy one next week. This one is the most depressing of all of the Psalms. It ends with this line, last line of Psalm 88, darkness is my closest friend. Like Simon and Garfunkel ripped that right off of Haman the Psalm writer. Darkness is my closest friend. In the original Hebrew, the, the way the sentence structure works, darkness is actually the last word of this chapter. It, it's more like my closest friend is darkness, the end. That's a happy song. My closest friend is, is darkness. And that's it. That, that, that's all the words of encouragement you're given. Now, you're asking, can there are 150 chapters in this book? You're covering seven of them in this series. Why this one? Surely there were other Psalms to choose from, and there were. We could have skipped this one. But this one is unique to the 150. This is a psalm of lament. We'll come back to that. Just a psalm of grieving, a psalm of sorrow. There are many psalms of sorrow in the psalms, and all of them but two, Psalm 39 and this one, Psalm 88, all of them but these two, they start out in sorrow and grief and brokenness. And then somewhere before the psalmist gets done, he makes a turn, and he says, but I trust God. But God is still faithful. But God, I still worship you. I still love you. You do good things. You can be trusted. They make this wonderful positive turn before the end of the psalm. But Psalm 39 and Psalm 88 are the only two that don't do that. My closest friend is darkness. The end. They don't say what we think they should say. We don't, they don't say what we tell people they should say. They don't get themselves together. That's what we would say. Pull yourself together. Like all the other Psalms, they, they pull themselves together. Psalm 88, he does not pull himself together. He is depressed at the beginning, and he is still depressed at the end. He is struggling at the beginning and he is still struggling at the end. He is somewhat angry at the beginning and he is angry at the end. His emotion doesn't change. He doesn't get it. 
together. You see, we like our grief, we like our struggles the way we like our sitcoms, don't we? Like, we want a little bit of tension. We understand there's got to be some conflict. Things have got to be messed up in the beginning. But after 30 minutes, we want it all resolved. We want everybody happy again. We want everything worked out. I mean, if it's an hour long, we'll give them 55 minutes. But 55 minutes later, we want everything fixed. That's the way we like our struggles. We understand. I mean, if you're 25 years or older, at least... You've come to realize, you know, bad things happen to everybody. Everybody has struggles. We get it. We just want our struggles to be limited in scope. We want to struggle for an hour or a day or maybe a week, but then we want everything fixed. And then we run into this psalm, and it doesn't get fixed. Not just in general, it doesn't get fixed. It doesn't get fixed for somebody who's really faithful. Somebody who really loves the Lord. Somebody who's really obeyed the Lord. See, this is part of what we learned from Psalm 88, is that even for Christians, the darkness can last a long time. Even for faithful people, Heartache can last a long time. I've mentioned this before. Our reading of the Bible sometimes gives us false expectations because we read stories like Joseph, and Joseph is in a pit on one page, and like two chapters later, he's working for the president. Right? He's in prison in one moment, and like 15 verses later... He's second in command of all of Egypt. We read that very quickly and we forget how many years his closest friend was darkness. David's on the run from King Saul. And then we turn a page or two and he's the king. We meet people in the New Testament, many of them, the nameless ones, we meet them right before there's some sudden life change. So we meet a blind man and two verses later he can see. And we meet a lame man, and two verses later, he can walk, and we forget. Yeah, he was blind for 40 years before that moment that I entered the story. He was lame for 25 years before that moment. When I started reading about him, we, we have this unspoken expectation that while we will experience suffering, it should pass especially for those of us who are Christians, especially for those of us who are followers of God. And sometimes it doesn't pass quickly. Sometimes the darkness remains dark, and then we begin to wonder, will it ever pass? What if mine doesn't pass? In some of the difficult times in my life, I've had wonderful, well-meaning friends who step into my life and they offer Encouragement, everything from, you know, this is going to work out. Uh, or they say, God has a plan. God's going to teach you something. You're going to see this is all going to work out. Or they, they tell me about their own experience that did work out and has this wonderful, happy ending. And, and when you're in the middle of your own darkness, that's encouraging. I'm not saying it's not. It's encouraging that someone would share their story with you. Somebody cares enough to say, I want to try to encourage you. 
But sometimes, and maybe you've been there, sometimes you're hearing this story where everything worked out and yours hasn't worked out, and there's a little voice in the back of your head saying, well, but what if it doesn't work out for me? But what if God doesn't do for me the things he did for you because I'm still in the middle of mine and you're on the other side and I don't know that mine's going to work out. Even for those who follow closely, walk closely with God, sometimes darkness lasts. Heman, who is the author, we learned from the introduction in Psalm 88, Heman, who is the author was a faithful follower of God. Some things we know about him from 1 Chronicles. He is the grandson of Samuel, and maybe that name rings a bell. Uh, Hannah prayed for a son. She had Samuel. She gave him over to the Lord, right? Took him to uh, the tabernacle, and he grew up in the house of the Lord. And then Samuel becomes probably the greatest priest that uh, Israel has ever known, he anoints King David. Okay, that, Samuel's his grandfather, the guy who wrote this. David becomes king, and he appoints three people to lead all of the worship at the house of God. Heman is one of those. So, grandson of the greatest priest, top three worship leader in all the land, plans all of the worship music for the tabernacle this is someone who faithfully followed after God. And he writes a psalm about darkness. An emotive, angsty psalm. Like if you're not real in touch with your emotions, we're going to get into this and you're going to go, that's a little much. Right? Heman, don't you think that's kind of over the top? Just say, you really think you should have posted that? Like, maybe you should have kept that to yourself. But Heman is somebody who feels deeply. Uh, he was an artist, after all. Right? He was used to exploring the inner depths of his heart and his emotions, and he posted all of it. He wrote all of it down. This is how it starts, Psalm 88. Lord... You are the God who saves me. Do you ever pray things you don't mean? You ever pray things that you know you're supposed to pray, but you're not sure your heart buys it? You ever pray things that you've heard other people pray in church, but you're not all in on it? I think, I can't prove this 100%, I think Heman starts this prayer with something he doesn't actually believe. Lord, you're the God who saves me. And then he spends the rest of the psalm saying, God, you're not saving me. God, I don't think you're going to save me. I think this is going to end badly, God. But I, sometimes that's evidence of honest prayer, I think. Right? Honest prayer sometimes sounds like, God, I know I'm supposed to pray this, but I'm feeling this over here. God, I know that I'm supposed to believe this, but my heart is telling me something else right now. 
I know the church tells me to pray this way, and my heart is wrestling with that. Sometimes that's the honesty that happens in our prayers. When we, we stop trying to fake it, and we'll say, God, I know I'm supposed to pray this way, but this is how I'm really feeling. God, this is how I'm, these are the words I'm supposed to use, but I, I just don't know that I believe them. I'm going to break the rest of it down into four sections. We'll try to zip through quickly. In the first section, I'm just going to call statement. Like, this is the statement of the problem. This is, the sta this is, this is um, his complaint, although complaint sounds negative. He's just putting before God, this is the problem as I see it. He writes in verse 3, I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. This is him just being honest, saying, God, this is the problem. I mentioned this is a psalm of lament. There are a couple of different psalms of lament that are corporate in nature. It's like we're all hurting. We're all upset. Our whole nation is grieving God. This is not one of those. This is a personal lament. This is him saying, I feel this way. I'm hurting, and I'm not sure anybody else gets how badly I'm hurting God. Here is the problem. It is okay in our prayer, apparently, to say, Okay, okay, God, here's the situation as I see it. I mean, I may not see it clearly, but this is the way I see it. This is, this is where I'm hurting. This is what I don't understand. These are the problems that I'm having for Heman. He believed he was going to die, and he believed he was going to die imminently. Uh, just quickly, it, it, when reading Old Testament discussions of the afterlife, we have to keep in mind that their understanding of the afterlife was very underdeveloped. Like there wasn't a, a, a detailed theology of the afterlife. Jesus was going to come along and he was going to say to his followers, I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? So that where I am, you can be with me. And so they, we began to get this idea of heaven and the afterlife. John writes the book of Revelation. We have a, some clarity on the afterlife. In the Old Testament, they had no clarity on the afterlife. The afterlife was mysterious. It was unknown. Was it going to be better or not better? They didn't really know. And so they referred to it as shadows and darkness and mystery and unknown. And here's Heman, and Heman is convinced I'm about to go to that place, and I don't know what that place is like, and I don't know why God isn't intervening on my behalf. So he states the problem. This is my complaint. This is the problem as I see it. Next section is accusation. Statement, then accusation. This is what accusation sounds like. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with 
grief. Here's the problem. This is what I'm feeling. And oh, by the way, God, this is your fault. That's what he says. That makes us nervous, right? Woo, lightning strike. I'm going to step back from that. Heman says, I am hurting, and God, you haven't done anything about it. And don't lie. You've prayed that prayer like I have at times. Many of you, just like me, God, you could have. Why didn't you? You could have stopped this. You could have, you have all power, God. Why didn't you? And if you've ever prayed that prayer, you're just like Heman. God, I am hurting. I am broken. And it's your fault. And at the end of the day, you could have stopped this. You could have done something. Why didn't you? Why, why didn't you do something? And, and then he moves from accusation to questioning. And, and questioning, questioning sounds like, what are you doing, God? This doesn't make any sense. Here are his words in verse 10. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Are your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? Like, God, are you paying attention? This is not a good thing that's happening. I mentioned Heman was a worship leader, and, and, and his, his uh, plea to God is, like, who am I going to lead in worship if I'm dead? Like, if I'm here, I'm going to give you glory, God. I'm going to praise your name. I'm going to lead all of your name. They're going to come to the house of God. We're going to sing your praise. If I'm dead, I can't do that. Have you thought this through, God? What are you doing? This doesn't make any sense to me. Questioning God's plan. Questioning God's decisions. And it sounds, when you read it that way, it's... It's like borderline blasphemous, right? But some of you have thought it, as I have. Some of you have had situations, as I have, where we've thought, God, what are you doing? This is a terrible plan. Like, if you would just do this, all of these good things would happen. And the way it's going, none of those things are going to happen. This is my problem. I think it's your fault. What kind of dumb plan is this? Which leads him to what I'm going to call extrapolation. Probably exaggeration is a better word, but that's a very negative connotation, right? Because if somebody's exaggerating, it's easy to dismiss them. right? You've thought it. You, you've said, oh, they're blowing this out of proportion, right? Ah. Uh, they're always over the top. Right? So I don't want you to believe that about Heman. He, what he does is he takes his current environment, he takes his current circumstances, and he extrapolates that over all of his life. He, he, he begins to define everything about his life based on what's right in front of him, his current circumstances, right? And that's tempting for all of us to do. Right? It's tempting to view everything about our life through the lens of our immediate experience. I'm going through this that's really hard. Come to think of it, my whole life's been hard. 
God, I don't, I don't think you're doing good things in my life. Right? Come to think of it, you've kind of never done good things in my life. Everything's always been hard. This extrapolation of my current hurt and my current pain and defining everything else about my life by my current pain. I'm not minimizing the current pain. I'm not saying it isn't real. I'm saying you and I face this temptation when we hurt for a long time. We begin to think, well, God, everything's terrible. Everything's bad. You've done nothing good for me. My, my darkness is worse than everybody else's darkness. Like Nobody understands how dark the darkness is in my life. Here's what he says. Verse 14, why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me from my youth? There it is. From my youth, my whole life, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor Darkness is my closest friend. Let's work backwards. Darkness is my closest friend, or as I told you, it's more literally transliterated. My closest friend is darkness, which is really a passive-aggressive way of saying, God, darkness is closer to me than you are. I feel like darkness is more of a friend than you are, if you want to be honest, God. Darkness is my closest friend, not you. You don't seem to be around. What is around are my hurts and my brokenness and my sorrow. And not only are you not, not around, I don't have anybody. You've taken from me friend and neighbor, right? I don't have anybody. I don't really have a true friend. And nobody cares about You don't care about me. Nobody cares about me. Again, it's this extrapolation. This is hard. Everything's hard. God, you don't care. Nobody cares about me. And my life has always been terrible. You, you see what he said? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. From my youth, my, my whole life's been terrible, God. It's all been awful. And, and we know that isn't true. Two examples. In First Chronicles, we learn that Heman has 14 sons and three daughters. 17 kids, right? And some of you are thinking, oh, no wonder he's depressed, right? <laughs> get it, get it, get it. But in the Old Testament, a, a large family was a side, it, it was perceived that this was a blessing from God. As a matter of fact, when we're told 14 sons and three daughters, that same verse, I think it's First Chronicles 25, that same verse says, God did this to exalt Heman in the eyes of the people because the people thought large family blessing of God now we, we know that there are many other ways that God blesses us other than uh, children but, but in this case it was perceived by all of the people that, wow, that he's really been blessed by God his 14 sons and 3 daughters 17 kids and, and I'm thinking um, I mean surely at least 1 out of 17 brought some joy to him right like Surely the guy wasn't 0 for 17 when it came to his kids. Like, like surely one or two or three or five, surely there were some of them like he really liked. Right? right? So, so, so all of life could not have been terrible. And then, then we know 
He's appointed by David, one of three to lead worship in the, in the house of God, just one of three. He, we would look at him and say, well, he's successful, like he's spiritually successful to be recognized in that way. Obviously, as an artist, as a musician, he's successful, he's skilled because he's been put in that position. So we know, in spite of his complaint, in, in spite of his extrapolation, we know he's exaggerating a little bit here, but is, pain does that to us. I'm not mocking him. Pain does that to us. Pain causes us to lose sight of where God has been good and where our life has been good and where there has been joy in our life. And then he ends with that phrase, my closest friend is darkness. The end. What do we do what do we do with that? Like, how do we walk away with something from that? I, 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 would, I would mention three things real quickly. Three things that we walk away from this chapter with. Here's the first one. Be encouraged by the fact that this prayer is even in the Bible. Like, be encouraged that God didn't shy away from the emotions of the hurting, from the pain of the broken. You, you know, you, you come to church, we believe the Holy Spirit of God inspired uh, not only the writing of the, of the scriptures, but the protection of that scriptures down through history so that we have these books that we can read. And God could have easily said, you know, we're going to stick with the 149 Psalms. We're going to leave that one out. Surely he could have found another prayer, another song to substitute if he wanted to keep an even 150. God doesn't do that. Like Psalm 88 is there, and it's there on purpose. It's there as a comfort when you and I feel like darkness, the end. Darkness is continuing. Darkness is staying. Darkness has settled in. I don't know if it's going to lift. There was a person 4,500 years ago who felt that and wrote it down. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was listening to a, a message by Tim Keller on this chapter. At the time, I didn't know I was going to be speaking on this chapter. He quotes Derek Kidner in this message. Derek Kidner uh, was an Old Testament professor uh, in London, <clears throat> oversaw some commentary uh, uh, publishing. He, he, he wrote a commentary on the Psalm, Psalms, and the chapter on this particular Psalm, Kidner writes, the very presence of these prayers, Psalm 39 and Psalm 88, the very presence of these prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. They stand up and they say, if you feel this way, God gets it. And then he writes this wonderful line, God knows how people speak when they're desperate. God knows. God knows the frailty of our hearts, the, the frailty of our emotions. God knows we get exhausted. God knows we say things maybe that we wouldn't normally say. We we're hostile in a way we're not normally hostile. We say, God, this is your fault. God knows how desperate people speak. 
And he gives us this psalm that it doesn't criticize us when we don't make the turn before the end of the prayer. It doesn't criticize us when we're pouring our heart out and we forget to say, but God, I trust you. It doesn't chastise us when we don't pray what we're supposed to pray. It doesn't condemn us when we don't seem to have the faith that we should have. Instead, it's, it comes alongside of us. And God whispers, I know. I know. I know your heart. Another reason. Be challenged through this psalm to keep praying even in the struggle. I left out some verses. If you're following along in your copy, maybe you saw me skip over a few verses. I'm going to tell you now, they're probably the most important verses, the ones that I skipped. Like, uh, verse 1, we read, Lord, you are the God who saves me. But then he goes on. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Day and night I'm crying out to you. Verse 9. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Verse 13. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. So we have these sections of complaint and questioning and accusation and even extrapolation, exaggerate. We have these sections and they're punctuated all the way down with, but I'm going to keep talking to you every day, God. I'm going to keep talking to you every day. When, when you and I face the darkness, it is tempting to shut God out, right? I understand that. I've, I've been there in some dark moments. It, it's tempting to say, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And this psalmist, who, who thinks he's about to die, he's pouring his heart out, doesn't get it, he's questioning what God is up to. He said, but you know what? Every morning, I'm going to pray to you anyway. Let that be a challenge to you when you walk through difficult times. That even whether you understand or not, the, regardless of the condition of your heart, you're going to keep talking to him. You're going to keep talking to him. And maybe you tell him all the wrong things, and maybe you're mad, and maybe you have questions, and maybe it sounds dangerously close to blasphemy, but you're just going to keep talking to God. He's going to keep talking. He's going to keep talking. The third thing. <clears throat> we'll close with this. Be reminded that darkness has ultimately been defeated. We're able to look back in ways that Heman couldn't. We know some things that Heman didn't. Not just about uh, life after death. But we know that darkness settled on the world for three hours 2,000 years ago as the Son of God hung on the cross. And when he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and died and rose again three days later, darkness was forever defeated. It shows up in our lives from time to time. It stays longer than we want, but ultimately, the light of the world 
defeated darkness forever. And wherever you are in your journey with the Lord, I promise you, no matter how it feels, darkness doesn't win. Yes, Psalm 88 is darkness, the end, but the end is no longer darkness because a Savior has come to set us free from the chains of darkness, to give us hope and joy in our most difficult times. The light has come, John said, and darkness has not overcome it, 1 John 1. Has not, cannot, will not ever overcome it. God, thank you for a Bible that's real with us and honest with us and tells us what life is really like and not what we want it to be like or hope it's going to be like. It's just real honest. And it reminds us that fellow travelers on this path who have walked before us have struggled with pain and uncertainty and wondering what you're up to and the, and the darkness didn't lift when they thought it was going to lift and it didn't go away in a week or a month or a year it was just still there and, and you were still there too you were still there listening you were at work in ways that Heman could not see. You are at work in ways we cannot see. And you have promised. Light has come. And the darkness has not overcome it. And never will overcome it. In Jesus' name.